If you would take your Bible and turn to Titus chapter 1. Once again, Titus chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first nine verses of Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. What is blessings to his word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that is ours to meet here today and to open thy precious word that we might study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, I pray that today, as we look into the word of God, that you help me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. I pray that you give listening ears to hear, hearts to obey, that the Spirit of God would convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And Lord, that you would be glorified in your church by Christ Jesus, who said, if I be lifted up, it will draw all men unto me. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message this morning is By Divine Appointment. You know, as we looked at the uh, last couple of weeks, uh, Paul uh, writing this letter to Titus, and whom he had sent to the island of Crete. Now, there's not a lot we know about the island of Crete or a church there, that obviously there was a church there. The only thing we do know is that on the day of Pentecost, according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 11, there were Cretes at Pentecost who heard the gospel. Uh, We also know that Paul, on his journey to Rome, stopped, they stopped, uh, the ship stopped at the Fair Havens, which is a place on the island of Crete. And according to a Bible chronology, that would probably be two or three years prior to this writing and the sending of Titus to this island. It is an island in, in the Mediterranean. So as we think about that this morning, and, and Paul here is, has sent Titus, who has been his fellow laborer in evangelizing and planting churches, to the island with a distinct purpose. And we want to notice several things about this as we consider this this morning. It, first of all, and I have an outline, first of all, the position of a pastor the purpose of a pastor, and then thirdly, the appointment of a pastor. So, 
uh, and again, this is one of those messages that, you know, as a pastor, if I could avoid preaching certain portions of the Bible, I'd probably avoid it. But it's in there. We need to preach the whole counsel of God. Amen. So anyway, the first of all, the, the position of the pastor. In verse 5, he says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. As we look into the scriptures concerning a position of a pastor, that word pastor is not used actually in this passage of scripture, but there are, there are four words that are used in the Bible and used interchangeably. And those words are an overseer and bishop, and those, those refer to the same, same thing. Overseer is only mentioned one time in the New Testament in Acts chapter 20, in verse 28. Bishop is used six times in the New Testament. That word bishop is used here in verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless. And as you'll notice, it's used interchangeably also with the word elder here in this passage. He says, he said, ordained elders in every city. And then he says, a bishop. Wait a minute, I thought he was talking about elders. He is. It's the same person. Same person. Just refers to some a little different uh, position of the office. But anyway, so bishop, and the word overseer bishop means a man charged with a duty of seeing that things are done, things to be done by others are done rightly. So he's in, put in charge in the church with the responsibility to see that things that are done by others are done rightly. It goes on. Specifically, the superintendent, head, or overseer of any Christian church. You know, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So there are those referred to there in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, that have rule over in the church, over others. And they have a responsibility. They are charged with a duty of seeing that things are done rightly or according to the Scriptures. Now, the word, another word that's used here in this passage is the word elder, uh, there in verse 5. And that word elder is defined by... Uh, 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 the Greek word is defined as among Christians, those who provided over the assemblies or churches. And that they did not differ at all from the bishops or overseers is evident from the fact that the two words are used indiscriminately. And again, here they're used uh, interchangeably. And also in Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 and 28, they're used interchangeably. In Acts chapter 20... And verse 17, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And then in verse 28, he's speaking to those same elders, and he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So this word elder, again, is used interchangeably with the word overseer and also used interchangeably with the word bishop. It just carries with it an idea of seniority. Elder. It also has that meaning in other places. And so these use uh, speaks of advanced in years or experience, and it carries that idea. Uh, and then we have a fourth word, and that is the word pastor. 
Or actually, the word pastor is really not found in the New Testament. The word pastors is. In Ephesians 4, and verse 11, the word pastors there is, is used. The word pastor or pastors, the word pastors actually, plural, is used eight times in the Bible, and seven of those times it's in the book of Jeremiah. And, and really, as you read about the pastors in Jeremiah, it is very fitting to a New Testament pastor. And actually, this word pastor comes from a Greek word, poimen, which means shepherd. In fact, it's translated 17 times as shepherd in the Bible. And, and so it's defined as the presiding officer, manager, director of any assembly. So if Christ, the head of the church, also of the overseers of the Christian assemblies. And, and so some of those times when it's translated shepherd, it's tra- the, the, the usage is referring to Christ, who's the head over the church. Uh, for example, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 25, he says, Ye were as sheep going astray, but are now, are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And that, and that passage is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Ephesians 4 and verse 11, it says, And he gave some, and that's referring to Jesus gave some, apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So there it's referring to the man who's the bishop or the overseer or the elder of the church. Now, amongst Baptist churches, we don't use the word bishop. Even though it's a scriptural term. We don't use the word elder. And we don't use the word overseer. And there are some reasons for that. Because the words have been defiled by denominationalism. You know, those words in, in, in most Christendom mean something else besides a pastor of a local church. You know, you, you know bishop of this, you know, you'll hear this guy's a bishop of this synod. Well, no, it's, a, it's an area with more than one church in it, and he's the overseer over all these churches. That, my friends, is foreign to the scriptures. It's not found there. But even amongst independent Baptists, there's somehow this idea that because they're evangelists, they have that authority. But these things are not found in the scriptures. What you have is men in charge over local assemblies and local assemblies only. That's the position of a pastor. The second thing we see is, in this passage, is the purpose of a pastor. Again in verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. Now again, we don't have a record of who started this church in Crete. Like I said in Acts 2.11, it says there were Cretes and Arabians at Pentecost. And again, Paul on his way to Rome. In fact, it says in Acts 27.9 that he spent, they, 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 you know, the ship, crew and everybody that was on that ship on you know Paul was a captive on his way to Rome and because he had appealed to Caesar and, and it says they had spent much time there now on that island of Crete now knowing Paul as we know him do you think that he would have spent much time in fair havens and not made effort to evangelize it very 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 unlikely that he did not but again we don't know for sure 
But I'm sure Paul took the opportunity to evangelize people. And of course, as I said, according to Bible dates, he would have been there two or three years prior to Titus being sent. However, the details are not really that about that are not really that important. But what would, the important thing is is the purpose for which Titus was sent there by the Apostle Paul. You know, Titus was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul, a traveling companion in evangelizing and planting churches, and, and now he's left at one place to set in order things that are wanting. That word set in order means to set in order besides or further what still remains to be set in order or to straighten further things that are wanting or lacking or absent of. Now, he was sent to Crete to pastor, set in order, to feed, to tend to, to rule. And the rest of this epistle defines that for us. There's some very strong words of ruling in this, this book. Uh, you know, so he was sent to Crete. You know, a form, a, actually a form of the word poimain, from which we get the word pastor, is used in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2. If you just turn over there for a little bit, 1 Peter 5 and verse 2. And where Peter is writing to elders or pastors or overseers. And again, this is used interchangeably here. First Peter 5 and verse 1 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but as samples to the flock. So in verse 2 there, he says, feed the flock of God. And that word feed there is the, is the Greek word, poem, uh, um, what do I have here? I have it wrote down here. Poimeo, poem, no, I forget how to pronounce it. Poimeo, it's, it's, it's similar to the word poimain. But anyway, it means to pastor or to feed. And it's used six times in the scriptures. It's translated feed. And, and the other four times it's used, it means to rule. So Peter's saying, look, you elders or you pastors, you are to feed, that you are to feed or shepherd the flock, and you're also to rule that flock. You're to rule it. So it means to tend a flock, to keep sheep, to rule, to govern. So a pastor is to feed, he's to lead. You know, a lot of things we get out of this, this chapter, and that's not you know, what we're looking at this morning, but, but he's to feed the flock, he's to lead the flock, and he's to be an example to the flock. For others to come behind and do likewise. You know, a shepherd, a shepherd leads his sheep. He calls them all by name and he leads them out. They follow him. Jesus said, I know my sheep, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You know, my sheep follow me. They hear my voice, and they follow me. Years ago, I was given a, a series of tapes on eternal security when I was struggling with eternal security. 
And it was, about, it was a, a series of messages from John chapter 10. And there was a lot of illustrations about the shepherd, shepherds in that. And one of those illustrations I remember very clearly was about this, this, this preacher who was, who these series tapes, I can't remember his name now. But anyway, he was telling the story how he was in, in, in uh, Israel one day in, in, in town. You know, of course, it was a small rural town. But he said two shepherds brought their flocks in down the same street from opposite directions and met in the middle of the street and stopped and talked to each other and then passed each other and went on by out of the city leading their sheep. And all they did was call their sheep by name. And you know what? He said not one sheep got in the wrong flock. Now I'm a dairy farmer. If, I'd tr- if we'd try that with cows, it would be a disaster. But the sheep hear the voice, of, they know the voice of their shepherd, and they follow him. They follow him. Of course, this is further explained for us in Ephesians 4. Verses 12 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 12 through 16. Verse 11. It says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You will understand that there are no apostles today. They were... Just a distinct group had seen the risen Christ. Uh, they are all past off the scene. There's no prophets foretelling future events, except false ones. An evangelist is a church planner. And then it's pastors and teachers. And, and notice, they are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, and under the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. So again, we could say, a pastor and teacher is to set things in order, to keep things in order in the church. Because there are those out there who will lead the sheep astray. And we live in a world where you have access to any and all information you desire. And there's lots of very attractive, seductive hirelings. In fact, verse 14 says, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craft. You know what slight means? It has the idea of dice used to cheat. Deceive. And then it says, uh, by the, with cunning craftiness. That refers to um, uh, a, a, an appearance or contextually equivalent to specious or false wisdom. They look so good. You know, every TV evangelist looks good because you never see them in real life. I mean, you'll find the perfect 
pastor on TV. Because you'll never see any blemishes in them. Because you only see them on TV. Or on the internet or wherever you find them. But see, the purpose of a pastor is to set things in order. You know, sometimes they get in your business because it's their business to do so. As much as I hate getting in other people's business, I get enough trouble with my own. But unfortunately, that's the responsibility that's been given to me. You see, the purpose of pastors is to strengthen or instruct in sound doctrine, holy living that is pleasing to and indicative of walking with the Lord or conducting oneself in a Christ-like manner. And, you know, this isn't always well received. In fact, let me use this illustration. You know, when the Bible refers to fishing, you know, we have a lot of independent Baptists out there that they, that they think of fishing, soul winning, as fishing and this kind of fishing. That's what they think of as fishing. Do you, do you realize what that kind of fishing really is? It's called deception. Because you got a bait to deceive a fish into thinking this is a meal, a free one. That's a form of deception. That is not what the Bible refers to as fishing, nor as fishing for men. In fact, in Luke chapter 5 and, and verse 5, Jesus sent the disciples out, and he told them to cast the net on the right side, and it says they enclosed a multitude of fishes. Multitude of fishes. And this is the kind of fishing that Jesus referred to when he said, I will make you fishers of men. Now, the word enclosed is very informative for us. It means to shut up on all sides. To shut up completely. So to deliver one up to the power of a person or thing that he is completely shut in, as it were, without a means of escape. We can illustrate that easily by saying, oh, you're backing somebody into a corner so they can't get away. That's exactly what you're doing if you're faithful in giving the truth of the gospel. And what you're going to get in response is, One of two things. Either a surrender or an attack against you. Because when you back somebody in a corner, what what choices do they have? They have a choice of surrendering or attacking and fighting. And, And if you've been... If you have witnessed anybody or anyone or many people, you're going to find out you're going to get both of those responses in the world. So this idea is to hem one in or back him in a corner. In fact, Titus 1.9, it really kind of gives that idea also when he says, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, and this is how you do it in trying to win a person to Christ, is by sound doctrine you exhort and you convince the gainsayer. The gainsayer. 
You know, the gainsayer are those who will speak against you or contradict you. That's a gainsayer. And of course, in Ephesians 4 and verse 14, again it says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every window darkened by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is ahead even Christ. And so, so this is, you know, he, the pastor is to set in order those things. He's to convince the gainsayers. He's to expose the slights of men and cunning craftiness. There's a lot of cunning craftiness. It goes on in churches. I had an internationally known evangelist say to me, we know how to get results. And you don't know him or knew him. See, it's quite simple. You preach a very animated, emotionally driven message. You get people to stand and then look at you and lead them in a sinner's prayer. And then they say they are gifted soul winners. Really? I submit to you that is cunning craftiness. It gives people a false assurance of salvation, which is very damaging. It happened right here about 10 years ago by evangelists who did that very thing. He led a lady in a sinner's prayer, had us all stand, and then said, if anybody, you, you're not sure you're saved, look at me. And she looked at him. And then he led her in a sinner's prayer, and we never saw that lady again. And we know. She had family in the church. We know what continued in her life. She continued on in her her immoral and wicked lifestyle. And then he had the nerve to say that our pastor, because pastor confronted him, I wasn't a pastor time, our pastor confronted him about that, and he had the nerve to say that the pastor was quenching the spirit of God working in the church by not allowing him to do that. That was an internationally known evangelist. Baptist. Fundamental Baptist evangelist. No, see, there's there's slight of men. And a pastor is responsible to govern or rule or oversee all that. Not only is he set in order, he must govern a rule. Look at 1 Timothy 3 and verse 5. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 5. <clears throat> verse 4 and 5 says, One that ruleth his own house well, speaking here of a bishop, it's called a bishop in this passage, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of, or how shall he rule the church of God? can't rule your own house, you can't rule the church. Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13. And twice in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, it 
the Bible speaks about this. Remember them, Hebrews 13, 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Obey them that have the rule over you, and verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 17 also, obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they would do it with joy, and not with grief. For that is unprofitable to you. That word unprofitable, notice it's to you, means hurtful, pernicious. And the word pernicious is defined as causing insidious harm. You've refused to respect your pastor's rule. You're going to grieve him. It is a grievous thing. But you're going to hurt yourself very seriously. First Timothy 5, verse 17. <clears throat> Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. The laborer is worthy of his reward. That's speaking of financial remuneration. Verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation before two or three witnesses. And then that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. So this is the purpose of a pastor. Thirdly, we see the appointing of the pastor. Again in verse 5, he says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. Now, we don't have apostles anymore appointing. Apostles had special authority that pastors, evangelists, do not have. But the word ordain here means to point to appoint one to administer an office. So Paul told Titus, and he sent Titus. Of course, Paul was sent out and, and answered to the church at Antioch, even though he was an apostle. He always go back and re, he, he would go back and report to the church at Antioch. And so he was sent out by the church at Antioch, so he had authority to, to start churches to baptize. You know, he had scriptural authority. And, and so he sent uh, uh, Titus here uh, with this purpose to, to, uh, to appoint uh, one to minister the office of a pastor. And the way this is done you know, in the scriptures is, number one, he, a, a, a pastor is sought out for his character. And that's listed in the next five verse, four verses. Verses 6 through 9. And he said, Any be blameless, the husband of one wife. And he said, Any. You know, God's not a respecter of persons. If a, if a man will meet the qualifications set forth here in this passage, he is a possible one that could possibly be a pastor. 
You know, sometimes we have this idea that we have to we have to get somebody from outside the church because there's nobody in the church capable. You know, that's not always true. In fact, I know of a church right now that's been without a pastor. Going on 10 years. An evangelist started it. They never had a constitution. And I, I know this because I spoke at this church before I became the pastor here. And I know the man that's working with them now. Anyway, they never had a pastor for probably 10 years. And the, and the guy that they had kind of appointed to head up getting a pastor could always find fault with every one possible, every possible candidate they had, he found something wrong with, and it would not contact him again. Happened to me. So a pastor who understands church authority and the way this works, they ask him to help them. So they submitted themselves to his church. He's been working with them and teaching them. And he said, there's a man in the church who meets the qualifications, who can teach the word of God. And it began to dawn on people, you know what? We have a pastor in our own midst. It's just that that guy didn't want a pastor. But the guy is gone. Now the church can go forward. He is a Diotrephes. That's what he was. No. So there's, there's, there's characters sought for. The word blameless means uncensored or cannot be called an account. He's to be the husband of one wife. That simply means he's not divorced and remarried. Uh, he's to have faithful children. You know, his children are to obey his commands. His house is to be in order. And he's not to be self-willed. That means arrogant or present their credentials and not scripture. You know, a pastor has to be able to debate and argue from the scriptures. Not, well, I have a doctor's degree. So what? So what? That doesn't make you spiritual. Nor does it give you understanding into spiritual things. You know, what I found is when people are self-willed, they can't answer you when you challenge them with the scriptures. They do one of two things to you. They won't talk to you anymore about it. Or they attack your person. I've had that happen three times. Correspondence. With, late, with leaders. Not soon angry. Prone to anger. Not a striker. That means contentious or a quarrelsome person. Not guilty of filthy lucre, that, seems, that simply means greedy or in it for gain. In it for gain or success. You know, a lot of them are in it because they want to make success out of something. And so they drop biblical standards. They, they, they compromise the truths of the gospel to make it more acceptable to people. That's, that's in it for success. That's success driven. A lover of hospitality, that simply means generous to guests. Lover of good men, that means loving goodness. 
Psalm 119, verse 63 says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Sober means curbing one's desires, impulses. Just, in verse 8 again, says, just means in a narrow sense, rendering to each his due, and that in a judicial sense, passing just judgment on others, whether expressed in words or shown by the manner of dealing with them. And, and we'll see that kind of exemplified later in this book. But, so it's, it's really the idea of having sound judgment and dealing and giving sound judgment in issues that arise in the church. Holy means pious or religiously observing the commands of God. And where did you hold to the biblical standards? Temperate, verse 8, again means self-control. You know, the Bible says, let your moderation be done unto all men. And then verse 9 says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. So that hold fast means to hold to the faithful word. The word of God can be relied on. And listen to me, if you can't present your case using scripture without attacking the character of the person, you have no biblical argument. Now, I have nothing to glory of. But I've had issues with internationally known, independent Baptists, fundamental, whatever you want to call them, leaders. And three out of the four either stopped talking or would not talk to me and resolve the issue, or... They just kind of give you the idea that somehow they're immune to. And they're both. Two of them are, were editors. The one, I don't even know if the one's living anymore, but they were editors of international Baptist magazines. One of them's final answer was to me, well, I'm sorry, brother. It's water over the bridge. Can't go back now. And that was it. Make it right? No. What he admitted to me was, in that answer, was I was right and he was wrong, but he would not correct it. See, if you can't argue from a position of Scripture, you have no argument. And I've been told by several others of the same guy that if you put him into a corner... He will not talk. No, we must be able to convince the gainsayers. Holding fast the faith word, that's our authority. We have no other authority. See, it says, as he hath been taught. That, and, and, and this is interesting to me. You know, I don't consider Blue Letter Bible a fundamentalist Baptist organization. They use other versions. They've got a multitude of new evangelical authors. And, but it's an excellent 
but I, I greatly appreciate it. I send them some money every year because I use it quite a lot. They're an excellent resource in Bible study, looking up words and, and searching for things, and, and I really appreciate that. But however, and the definition of this as he hath been taught was interesting to me. And again, it's not a local church organization, and, the, and many of the commentators on it are not local church. But here's what the definition of that hath been taught was one Greek word, and it means instruction in particular. The teaching of doctrine in the religious assemblies of Christians teaching in the church. Where'd you get saved? Likely the fruits of a church. Don't you think it's the church that will teach you sound doctrine? When a pastor faithfully takes the word of God and preaches line after line the whole counsel of God. And not, well, a verse out of this book one week and a verse out of that book the next week and you just throw in other scriptures to make it say what you want. Isaiah says, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's called expository preaching. And see, we're to do that in the church, and we're to exhort. That means to instruct, to teach, to encourage. We're to convince It's used of the exposure and confutation of false teachers of Christianity. That's what it means to to, uh, convince. You're exposed to false teachers. That's the pastor's appointment. That's what he's appointed to. He also must have a desire. You know, I would say if you if you don't have a desire, don't do it. First Timothy three one says, If any if a man desire the office of bishop, he desireth that good work. Now that word desire there means to stretch oneself out in order to touch or grasp anything, to reach after or desire something. Now, this something you're reaching for is not something that's gonna Bring you wealth. Or bring you pop, promise you popularity. If you're going to be faithful to the scriptures, you will be liked by some and hated by many. Paul said, we're the off-scouring of the world. But it has the idea that there's something you, you, you desire in your heart. A good example of this in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, where it says the house of Stephanus had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. In other words, just stretching oneself out. It's like, it's like forcing yourself so it's uncomfortable.
There are times when as a pastor, you open the word of God and you look in the faces of people and you know in your heart that this may rub some the wrong way. Because of the weakness of the flesh. And because others do not necessarily have the same desires that you do. That others will favor friends, family, or whatever, or the world. And will not give it up. In other words, you're willing to endure the afflictions, hardships, the criticism, the disdain and disrespect that goes along with the ministry. Second Timothy eight or two, verse eight through ten. But this is your desire. Paul said, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble. In other words, I suffer or I endure trouble for the gospel's sake as an evildoer, even under bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things. I'm willing to have myself stretched out till it hurts for the elect's sake. For the sake of God's people. If you're not willing to do that, you're not called a pastor. Chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5, again he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who should judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. You know, really what that means is when they like it and when they don't. Reprove. That's not popular. Rebuke. And exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. The time will come when they will not adore sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers, having it your ears. They shall turn away the ears from the truth, shall be turned on the favors, fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, make full proof of thy ministry. Spurgeon said in his book, and I can't even remember the title of it now, basically, basically said, if you can do anything else, do it. But see, one who has been called, one who has the desires, is willing to have himself stretched out. Stretched out. If you think you're God's gift to the world and have the knowledge and the experience and you're just the greatest guy, forget it, you're not it. And that's a, that's a paraphrase of also what Spurgeon said in his book. Now, understanding this appointment was, and it's not simply done by one man. 
this is a this, there's a principle of Bible interpretation called the first mention in Acts chapter 1 verse 15 through 26 and I won't read all that for sake of time but one of the things they did is they chose one that accompanied with them all the time from the beginning of John the Baptist until the time that Jesus was taken up. In other words, there was somebody that they chose to, to be voted on for the pastoral staff who had, who had the training and the experience of working with the Lord's church for a period of time sufficient. He sees not to be a novice, one recently saved. This calling will also be recognized by the church. First Corinthians sixteen fifteen, Paul points out to the Corinthian church, "Look, you have one somebody, you have a guy right among you. Can't you see it? They've addicted themselves to the ministry. Give heed to the house of Stephanus. They've addicted themselves to the ministry. What Paul's saying? Look, Corinth, here's your pastor." But, you know, they were too busy fighting and arguing among themselves who they were following, Paul or Peter or, or, or uh, Apollos, to recognize, you know, they had somebody among them they should have been following. Again, this calling will be recognized. In the life of John Bunyan, as you all know, John Bunyan wrote that classic, Pilgrim's Progress, and spent 12 years in Bedford Jail for preaching the gospel without license. But John Bunyan writes concerning his call, quote, John Bunyan's journey into the pastor is a helpful illustration of how these principles worked out in one man's life. Several years after his conversion, some observant members of his local church began to recognize his potential. As recorded in the spiritual autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, they did perceive that God had counted me worthy to understand something of his will in his holy and blessed word, and had given me utterance for some measure to express what I saw to others for edification. So they asked Bunyan to provide a word of exhortation at an upcoming meeting, that is to preach, which in turn was well received. As Bunyan later reported, I discovered my gifts amongst them, as the congregation was both affected and comforted. After he was asked to preach several more times, he began to pray and fast for wisdom. When the church appointed him to a more regular preaching role, he confessed, I did evidently find in my mind a secret pricking forward thereto. There's the desire. His heart set on upon 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, where it speaks of the house of Stephanus, and they had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Feeling the same desire growing in his own heart and continuing to see fruit from his labors, Bunyan concluded, these things, therefore, were another argument unto me that God had called me to and stood by me in this work. Bunyan was first recognized for his character, then tested to evaluate his competence. As the church confirmed his gifts, he began to develop the conviction that he longed to serve the Lord in this way. The sum of the ele- those elements... led Bunyan to conclude that he was indeed called to the ministry. Bunyan remained confident in this call, even as he faced persecution, spent over 12 years in the Bedford jail that his statue faces to this day. He would become one of the most highly regarded preachers and influential authors 
of his error, but only after he was sure he possessed the necessary qualifications. You see, pastors are by divine appointment. According to the scriptures. They're appointed to feed and govern the church. You know, Peter governed, directed, in replacing Judas on the pastoral staff. There was a church vote. Peter bare rule in the congregation over Ananias and Sapphira. The apostles governed the money that was given for the needs of others. Acts chapter 4 and verse 37. You see, pastors are by divine appointment. They are to rule. They are to set in order. They are to be followed. You know, I've said this often. Unless you can refute me based upon Scripture, you are obligated to follow me. Anything else is just plain stubbornness. And will bring the judgment of God. The question is to you are you following your pastor who watches for your souls? I know. I know where every one of you sit. I see you in my mind's eye every day. Are you following? Maybe you're one that the Lord's calling. You all of us are called to one of two things. Either be a pastor or missionary evangelist or to be a pastor's helper. What is the Lord saying to you today?